Hey everyone, uh, it's Pease. I hope you're doing well. Uh, I've gotten a lot of questions about the TEP and I really wanted to follow up and just answer some of the questions and then also provide some additional context. Um, it was great to see everybody on Zoom and that format worked okay, but it was also limiting in some ways. And so it sounds like groups use their time differently and kind of came away with different um, thoughts and questions and concerns. So I just wanted to take some time to give you the opportunity to feel like maybe you're more grounded and have a better understanding of what you need to do. So I'm going to start by addressing some of the questions that I've gotten, and then I'm going to move into talking about each of the different components from four through eight, the ones that you're working on right now, and give you some guidance about those specific components. And then at the end, if anybody's interested in knowing kind of the history of how we got here with the TEP, then I'll give that but I know some of you are just that's not of interest to you but some of you might be wondering like why are we doing this and how did we get here because it, this has this project has gone through many iterations over the last five years so anywho let's start with questions um, one of the biggest questions and I did address this a little bit during our session um, on Tuesday is if it's okay to use materials from courses from the fall, even if they're not real, by that meaning, like, especially from the assessment class, like if you have data that you analyzed, um, but it was hypothetical data and didn't involve real students, can you use that for the tech? And the answer is yes, you certainly can. Um, if you have data that you analyzed or you have different assessment strategies, even if they've not been implemented or for that matter, a classroom management plan that has not actually been implemented, those are things that you can use to demonstrate the skills that you have in those particular areas. Um, if you have things from placement that you have actually utilized that meet the rubric criteria or the checklist criteria, you're welcome to use those alternatively. Um, but remember that we're focusing on quality over quantity and just choosing what seems like it's the best for you based on what you already have, what you've already created. Um, Another question that came up is, is it okay to use materials that you developed collaboratively? So like in a group or with a partner or even with your mentor teacher? And the answer is yes, as long as you've had a significant role in creating that. So you should not just be sharing things that your mentor teacher created, but if you have materials that you worked with your mentor teacher or your PLC or other peers to create, that is 100% fine. Um, another question that has come up is who is actually going to look at these things and assess them? Um, and typically that would be our secondary and ESL faculty and each program area advisor and myself would cross um, assess so that you would have two people looking at everyone's submission. Um, this year, because we have three faculty members who are on leave, um, only Professor Henny and I are the ones who are here and um, working this particular semester. It will be a little bit different. Um, so it will be myself and Professor Henny and then Scout Crimmins, who's going to be working with us in EDIS 6991. And then staff from the teacher education office will be assessing. Um, and we're basically just looking for proficiency, as I said. Um, and so it's important for you to keep in mind that like proficiency and demonstrating proficiency is the goal. 
But if you submit something and it needs to be sent back to you for additional feedback, like that is not something that is going to be on your permanent record or anything like that. So my suggestion to you is that if questions come up about is this sufficient, you can certainly send that my way before you submit. Um, and then, you know, if there are issues and we need you to, to go further with something, we will certainly let you know. Okay. Um, but it's not in a judgmental or a like in any way indicative of your ability as a teacher. It is more just a reflection that the evidence that you've submitted does not fully fulfill the criteria that we need to see to, to demonstrate your ability to do certain skills or to meet the criteria for certain components. Okay. Um, a question, great question that clearly I didn't think through was about video and that if you're going to submit video contextualization, then that automatically means that your um, submissions cannot be anonymous. And that is true. So um, I've not yet figured out a way around that because you could like create a PowerPoint and then do a voiceover. But honestly, like We'll, that seems like a lot of work and also we'll still probably be able to tell people's voices. So here's what I can say. If you are going to do video contextualization, that's perfectly fine. Just know that you are giving a, your like understanding that people are going to know which submission is yours. Um, we are still going to randomize grading so you won't know who's grading it and it will be randomized in that way. So I don't know how you feel about that, but it's really just your choice. If you want to do written because you want it to stay completely anonymous, great. If you want to do video and you're like, doesn't really matter to me who sees this um, and who is assessing it, also totally fine. Okay, so I'm going to leave that decision to you um, because we can't do blind grading when they're our videos, as someone really helpfully pointed out to me that I had not yet thought through. So. Great plans that didn't really come through. Anyway, um, another question that's come up is, it, is, is it okay for you all to work together and to get guidance from one another? Absolutely, crowdsource. It sounds like some groups on Tuesday um, did some different work in terms of like creating Google Docs or brainstorming ideas for what could be used for different components. And that is the type of work that can be really helpful and useful for you. And I encourage you to share that with one another, okay? Um, as additional questions come up, then please don't hesitate to reach out to me. Um, I want to make sure that this, I understand that it feels cumbersome and it feels like a lot, but I want to make it as manageable as possible for you. And as I said, at the end of this podcast, I'll kind of talk through the evolution of this particular project. It used to be much, 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 much more cumbersome for students and for faculty and for mentor teachers and everyone involved. And we've really tried to pare down to what we absolutely need to see from you and what our program needs to make it more manageable over the past five years. So if you're interested in how that has happened, stick around at the end. But for right now, I'm gonna talk through each of the different components four through eight that you are working on right now. And as we move on to other components this semester, then I'll share some additional tips about those um, with you. But for right now, I'm just gonna focus on the five that you are working on right now. So component four is assessment strategies. And when you read the proficient description, it says, 
evidence demonstrates planning for an implementation of a limited number slash type of assessment techniques or approaches for checking student understanding and progress. Evidence demonstrates assessment techniques that are generally aligned with the identified learning targets and sensitive to the nature of instruction offered, providing data on student learning. Okay, so some key words to take away from this are limited number and type. So to me, that suggests two to three different assessment approaches that you have either developed or implemented. And it talks about, and, and you're using those assessment approaches to check for student understanding and progress, okay? And then the evidence demonstrates alignment. So alignment with the learning targets and alignment to the instruction offered that is going to then provide data on student learning in relation to those learning targets and the instruction provided. So again, when I'm thinking about evidence here, I'm thinking I want to be able to, you want to be able to show two to three probably different assessment approaches you have either developed or implemented. They can be formative assessments, they can be summative assessments, they can be um, diagnostic or pre-assessments if you want to utilize those. What is important is to show also alignment with the learning targets and instruction. So it could be if the assessment is part of a lesson plan for which you have or is part of a lesson for which you have a lesson plan or is part of a unit for which you have a unit plan, you can just submit that lesson plan or that unit plan along with the assessment evidence. So it might be that you're showing an example of an exit card, for instance, um, and in that exit ticket and you are sharing the lesson plan during which that exit ticket would be implemented. So then that the reviewer would be able to see, okay, here's the exit ticket and I can see the alignment to the learning targets and I can see the alignment to the instruction that is offered in this particular lesson, okay? Um, or if you don't have a lesson plan for an assessment strategy that you have created, you could give in your contextualization, you could give a summary of the learning targets and the instruction offered so that the reader or the reviewer would be able to see how those pieces are aligned, okay? So again, you can just submit the lesson plan or a unit plan to show how this assessment, each assessment fits into the overall scheme of things and the instructional sequence and how it aligns with the different pieces. Or you can summarize that and make sure that it's clear for the reviewer how this assessment approach, whether it's a summative assessment or it is a um, formative assessment or a diagnostic assessment, how does it align with what you're going for in this particular lesson or this particular unit if it's summative in nature? Okay, uh, it could be, it does not have to, all of the assessment approaches do not have to be completely developed by you. They could be partially things that you have adapted or chosen from another source and then developed, um, combined to develop an assessment that fits with and aligns with learning targets, if that makes sense. Um, so you're, 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 
Mark should be on those assessments, but it doesn't have to be that everything was 100% developed by you. What we're also looking to see is that you're using a range of different, a limited range of different assessment strategies, and you can see the alignment between the learning targets and the instruction offer. Okay, moving on to use of assessment data. I'm gonna be real honest and say, this is probably the most complicated of the components and it is the most challenging one because there are a lot of different moving parts here. So when we read the descriptor for proficient, it says, evidence demonstrates the use of data to document student learning, providing feedback to students and the teacher for instructional planning which may or may not be differentiated. Okay, so basically this is saying, asking, how do you use data both to provide feedback to students and document student learning, and then to make instructional decisions about what comes next? So how do you use data that you already have to plan? Which implies that you're doing some level of analysis or as, Professor Moon and Professor Hawk would call it database decision making. See module nine of the assessment class course. Um, so um, in that course, my understanding is that you did some practice with analyzing data from actual student assessments and putting it into a chart and then thinking about the instructional next steps based on that. That would be an important thing to submit here, an artifact or evidence that could show that, okay? Um, so what you're trying to show here, what you would actually go about submitting in this case would be a copy of the assessment, okay? Then some sort of evidence of analysis of that assessment. So maybe it's a chart, maybe where you're writing down names or maybe it's patterns or maybe it is a table where you're keeping track of student responses to things. There are a lot of different ways that you could do this. You also need to show some evidence of then how you are using this particular data, okay, to give feedback to students. That could be individual feedback that you're giving on the assessments themselves, like handwritten comments or things like that. Or it could be collective feedback, like a slide that you would show to a class saying, here are patterns that we saw in the assessment and we wanna make sure we work on those, okay? Again, this could be hypothetical. It does not need to be real use of data that you have collected and gone through this entire process. But some of you might have that. And so if you can use that, that's great. And then the last piece is, how are you using this to plan instruction? And so if there are instructional materials or there's a lesson plan to show, here's what you're doing the next day based on, for instance, data that you collected in an exit ticket, then that can be really helpful to then utilize, okay? Um, the other piece to think about is this last phrase, may or may not be differentiated. So for instance, if you were using the data and what you analyzed in the data to then create groupings for students, then that would be using the data for differentiation. If you are using the data and it is informing whole class instruction, then that is not differentiating both of those things are perfectly fine for you to use, okay? So again, there are lots of things here, lots of moving parts for this particular component, but essentially you're looking to show and submit evidence that includes an assessment of some sort, okay? 
then some evidence of analyzing student responses to this particular assessment, okay, whether it's a formative assessment or um, if you're doing a summative assessment, I would narrow a little bit. You don't need to do an analysis of the entire thing. For instance, if it's a test, maybe focus in a little bit more. Think about how you can provide evidence of the feedback that you give to students and then what you are doing the next day or the next class or in the future and evidence of those changes or plans that you're making based on what the data tell you. Okay. Again, reach out if you have questions or you want me to look over and tell you if that's if, if you've hit it or not. Okay. Um, the next component, and I think we're on component six here. Um, is instructional technology integration. And again, I'm gonna read through the proficient descriptors here. It says, evidence demonstrates the use of instructional technology that is student-centered with frequent opportunities for students to interact with the technology. Technology is used to accommodate and provide access for diverse students and support student learning. So for many of you, this evidence is going to come directly from um, your class with Eric, from your instructional technology course. Um, and uh, some key things here to think about are that the evidence is student-centered and that students are actually using the technology. So it's not just the teacher creating a deck of slides and then using them to lecture. It's really about the students engaging with and utilizing technology in some way to further their learning. Okay, um, then also be thinking about how those approaches, and it could be one really solid approach where you have a lesson that utilizes a lot of technology, or it could be multiple instances of using different types of technology in different ways. But you want to be able to discuss how it can be used to help accommodate and provide access and additional resources or different modes for students to engage um, with the content. So even if you had, for instance, like, uh, I'm going to think about math here, like, let's say that you created uh, or utilized or developed some Delta math materials that students could use um, outside of class for additional practice, then that would be an example of giving them um, access and, and to a diverse group of students that would allow them to continue to grow in relation to the particular learning targets and the goals that you've set. Okay. Um, here again, I would focus on quality over quantity, but having a couple of different approaches would be really helpful. Okay. Um, finally, we've got classroom community and classroom management and we talked about classroom community uh, during our session on Tuesday. That one for most of you is probably going to be the Classroom Come to Life Project Part 1, where you talk about um, cultivating and maintaining a positive class climate and talking about specifically how the approaches that you're using can contribute to an inclusive and equitable learning environment. I'm not going to go much further into that one, but if you have questions, please let me know. And then finally, classroom management, um, a really nice alignment here will be for the Classroom Come to Life Project Part 3, which is the overall um, classroom management system where you talk about how you would go about setting expectations with students or um, norms or standards, and then also how you will uphold those, which creates an overall system. Hopefully, um, because it was in the CCTL rubric, hopefully um, you will be able to 
in, inside the components that you've already written, it talks about how this can help students' social and emotional development. If not, then you're going to want to make sure that you address that in your contextualization. Um, and then also talking about how the, how the evidence that you're submitting demonstrates a culturally responsive approach to classroom management. I think most of you already have this embedded. You're talking about equity and you're talking about the potential for bias in this particular aspect of the Classroom Come to Life project and setting expectations and upholding expectations. So I think most of you are in pretty good shape with that one and that you can submit uh, part three as evidence here, but you might just want to reread and see if there's anything else that you want to add to that. Okay. Um, by way of talking about, I'm going to, if, if, this has helped. Great. You can sign off now. Um, I do want to address the, a question that came up, which is, has been, why didn't we tell you about this project or this, this portfolio earlier um, in your program? Um, we've alluded to it, but we didn't give you the specifics of it. And I'm going to talk about that by way of talking about the history of this particular project within the context of our program. So, 100% it would have been fabulous to share this with you um, either during our initial orientation, although that could create some anxiety for students, or at least at the beginning of the fall semester. Um, this project has been through, and, and, and I take responsibility for that. I just want to be clear. I'll be frank that we had we were in the process of changing a lot of things um, for the fall semester, including our entire coaching system. And um, this particular aspect of the portfolio, um, things just hadn't been clarified yet. Um, part of the issue is that we have um, very few faculty members who work during the summer. And so coming back in the fall, um, we just weren't quite ready to share the plans yet with you. And we didn't want to create confusion. Um, Going back in time, so the first year of our one-year uh, PGMT program, we started the new cohort in 2018, and in the spring of 2019 was when that cohort had to um, complete their portfolio. At that time, it was called the CTPA. We were still the Curry School of Education, um, and so it was the Curry Teaching Performance Assessment. It was based very largely on something called the EdTPA, or the Education Teaching Performance Assessment, which many states actually use for teacher certification. Um, and that particular project, uh, in that particular project, in that iteration, our cohort members, our candidates, had to plan an entire unit of instruction for their spring placement and then implement that. They had to get it approved first, including the assessments, all of the lesson plans, all of the instructional materials, the unit plan. Then they had to teach that entire unit within their placement and then analyze the data from that to determine their teaching efficacy. That is what the EdTPA asks candidates to do. It's a really worthy um, endeavor and it can teach us a lot about our own teaching practices and efficacy. It's also very much what the National Board Certification process is based on, an, an event like that. However, in our particular context, we found it was really difficult for candidates to do this because um, they are working in somebody else's classroom. And so working with mentor teachers to make that happen 
um, it became really, really cumbersome and difficult and created a lot of stress and anxiety for our teacher candidates. Um, so the following year was 2019-2020, and we had decided to kind of walk back some of the expectations for the CTPA. We were keeping it in the same um, kind of overall idea, but we gave more flexibility in that um, in terms of students' implementation. Of course, spring 2020 schools shut down, and so we ended up having to make a lot more accommodations around that because our candidates were not actually in schools as schools were scrambling to figure out what they were going to do um, during the height of the pandemic. So um, essentially candidates submitted what they had and we gave them some data sets to work with. Um, and what we found during that process was actually that um, it seemed like the process that we had originally envisioned, not only was it causing stress and really complicated, but it also um, was not giving us a lot of, it was not telling us a lot of things that we didn't already know about our candidates' strengths and weaknesses and areas for growth. And so when we went into the 2020-2021 school year, um, a couple of different things happened. The elementary and special ed programs also started a one-year PGMT program, and so we needed an aligned portfolio. And also during the pandemic, we were trying to think about ways that we could work more efficiently and, and more streamlined. Um, so we came up with a what, what is now known as the TEP, uh, which has the different components that you see now. Um, and we had started to envision what submission of those might look like in the different programs. Um, I actually did not teach the, the spring course that included the portfolio in 2021 because I was out on leave. Um, and so Professor Henney took over for me very graciously. Um, but a lot of the same issues and stress and anxiety that we had had previously remained. Um, in 2020, the spring of 2022, I taught the course again. We simplified and aligned um, even further, um, trying to get, again, we had all the components and we created a streamlined rubric, which is the rubric that we are now using. Um, but we, what we started to see in 2022 and then continued last year in 2023 when I did not teach the course but did do some of the assessment was that it seemed like a lot of our candidates had to do a lot of hoop jumping um, to get this done and that many times the assessment process did not feel authentic and that the level of feedback that we could give to students was not equivalent with the effort that they spent on creating their portfolios. And so this year, going into this year, one of the things that our program had decided over the summer was that we really wanted to see what, it, what would happen if we walked back um, some of the kind of overall expectation. So I think in the past, there had been a, an expectation that everyone try and work towards the exemplary category on the rubric. Um, and if you look through the, the rubric, there, there are a lot of things in the exemplary category that really even teachers who have been teaching for 20 years might struggle to do. Um, and so we thought about how about if we just say, let's focus on proficiency and let's decouple the performance, the, the portfolio from the course, EDIS 6991, 
and then just think about how we can provide support. So this year, as, as all years, we are in a learning process, but we are trying to pilot kind of a low, what I would consider a low key approach uh, to the, the TEP. It may not feel low key to you right now, um, but comparatively, and I know it's hard for you to get the sense of things, if you talk to your mentor teachers or other people who have gone through the one-year PGMT program, comparatively, it is significantly, I believe, less cumbersome um, for you as candidates. And so I hope that we will see that, but please know that we are open as a program to um, your feedback and ideas that you have about how to make this process more streamlined, easier for you. I think the idea that we present this earlier in the program is, is absolutely one we will work towards next year for sure. Um, and we want to just make sure that you have the support that you need to complete this this particular year. Anyway, that's a long explanation of kind of how we got to where we are. I don't know if it's helpful to you or not, but I'm happy to discuss. Teaching and, and assessment are always works in progress. So every year we, as a faculty, um, we really think about what worked this year, what did we struggle with, what did candidates struggle with, and we've really made continual changes to the program over the last five years. Um, it's sometimes hard to see those if you are just coming in and just have the one-year snapshot, but please know that your feedback um, is really important to us as we think about how we can continue to improve the student experience for you and for future cohorts. I so appreciate your work on this. I'm here to support you in whatever ways I can, as are our other faculty members and as is the Teacher Education Office. Um, so please reach out and I will look forward to seeing you in EDIS 6991 on Tuesday. Thanks everybody, bye.